Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Well, amen and good morning once again. I want to point out um, now is the day after Christmas. So we're, we're back into the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4 is where we find ourselves. Acts chapter 4 beginning in verse 13. And as you turn there, if you have your copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, uh, as you're turning there, I want to set some context for us. Jesus, the risen and ascended King and Son of God, has worked through the apostles Peter and John to heal a man who was born lame from birth. He, he couldn't walk from, from birth. He had a congenital birth defect that prevented him from being able to walk. But Jesus the risen Messiah, His power working through Peter and John operates on this man outside of the temple to heal him. And he goes into the temple and he's, he's leaping and walking and praising God on his own two feet. Two feet that had never walked before. He didn't go through the, the cycle of being a baby to try and get his strength and learn how to wobble and to walk. He went from not walking to being like, I don't know, Michael Jordan in his prime in the temple. And a large crowd gathers to hear Peter's sermon explaining the miracle. Like, what in the world did we see? How did this happen? And Peter gets the opportunity, because of the miracle that's been worked, to explain there's an even greater miracle that you can participate in, because we're all born spiritually incapable of walking with and for God unless we trust in Christ, the Messiah, who died for our sins and was raised on the third day, just as He promised, just as the Scripture promised. And, and so Peter explains this against the background of the Old Testament, and many people come to saving faith in Christ right there in the temple, but the temple leaders aren't too happy about it. So they arrest Peter and John and put them on trial the next day. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, Peter flips the tab tables in the trial and he's like, are you really putting us on trial because a man who couldn't walk is now walking? I mean, are you really upset about that? And oh, by the way, you rejected and crucified the person who made it possible. And it's not us, don't look at us, it's, it's Jesus He's been healed in the name of Jesus. Jesus is the, the cornerstone. He's the headstone. He's the stone that makes the whole building stand. He's the referential stone to every other aspect of your life. So a foundation of life built in God and for God must be built on Christ and in His name alone because there's salvation in no one else, verse 12. Which I, which I love because even as He's like, eviscerating them he's, he's like cutting them apart like you crucified him and then in verse 12 he's like but he'll still save you you can still be saved if you'll trust him Peter and John even as they defend their ministry against those who have arrested them are still pointing these Jewish leaders to their need for Jesus and I want you to think for a moment about these Jewish leaders. They'd been around the Bible their whole lives. They grew up in the Bible. They're of the priestly class. They're, they're Levites. They know the Old Testament, and yet they missed 
the person who authored the Old Testament and told them it would be about him. Did you know you can be around the things of God? You can be around the Bible. You can be born almost literally in a church and still miss salvation in Jesus. Only Jesus bridges the gap between sinful man and a holy God. Because He is holy God in flesh. He is the gift of Christmas. Don't miss Jesus. What, I don't know what you got yesterday for Christmas. I hope it was great. hope you got everything you ever asked for. But if you don't have Jesus, if you don't have Jesus, you don't, you don't have anything. And what we're going to see today in the text of Scripture are some hallmarks of people who have been with Jesus. I love verse 13. We're, we're going to get there in just a second. The temple leaders are going to recognize These guys have been with Jesus. And I hope as we walk through this text that you'll be able to say of yourself, you know what, if somebody sees me, they're going to be able to say, he's been with Jesus. Or she's been with Jesus. And if they can't say that of you, that that by the end of this message, that you would say, well, by golly, I want to be somebody that somebody could say they've been with Jesus. Would you hear with me the word of God beginning in verse 13? Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men for that a notable sign has been performed through them, is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than forty years old. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we need you. And our only hope is that we would be found to be those who are with you. Christ, we we recognize you're coming again. We sang about what we believe. One day what we declared that we believe, we won't have to believe it anymore. We're just going to see it. We're going to see you. We're going to be in resurrected bodies. We're going to be in the, the kingdom and the new heavens, the new earth. But God, for now, Lord, we, we need to be united to you by faith. God, we need to see through the eyes of faith. And ultimately, we need to be seen with Jesus. Lord, we, we pray that you would bless us in the hearing of your word today explained. God, I pray that you would fill me even now with your spirit in a special way to proclaim the glorious riches of the gospel found in this passage, 
And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you three things about those who have been with Jesus from this passage. The first is in verse 13. I want you to see simply that those who are with Jesus, see, see what they miss is they had been with Jesus, but Jesus has now ascended at the right hand of the Father and He's poured out His Spirit so that they can still be with Jesus. So it's not just that they had, had been with Jesus, they are now with Jesus. So those who are with Jesus exhibit an inexplicable boldness in their witness to Him. Those who are with Jesus demonstrate an inexplicable boldness in their witness to Him. I, I want to begin by saying I sort of wrestled with how to make this point because I, I recognize that not everybody has the same personality. Not everybody has the same spiritual gifting. I recognize that not everyone is a Hope Marcus. All right? Not everybody is bold all the time, loud all the time, about Jesus all the time. That's, that's not what I'm saying. We can even discern personality differences between Peter and John. Peter's doing most of the talking, and John is in more of a supportive role in this situation, and yet they are both on trial, and the temple leaders see the boldness of both of them. There's a, there's a passion that is palpable among those who are personally with Jesus. And it comes out when, when we get tested, when we're under fire. When somebody questions you in your cubicle about your walk with Christ, when somebody st- makes a, a statement that is anti-Christ in your school, in your college, that's when the Spirit shows up and it's like, whoa, it's time to talk about Jesus. These guys are on trial And their boldness for Christ is seen. And their boldness is seen because God supplies it. God, in the moment, through the filling of the Holy Spirit, supplies a Holy Spirit-given boldness to witness to Christ. We We refuse to back away from Jesus and explaining Jesus. Why? Because we are with Jesus. Be like somebody making fun of your wife, and you're like, what? I'm with her and she's with me. No, I'm, I'm going to tell you what's up. Somebody starts making an assault on Christ, you're going to tell people what's up, and the Spirit's going to visit you with some boldness. The temple leaders didn't like what they were hearing, but they could not deny the boldness that they were seeing. This word boldness includes the ideas of confidence and courage. It's the same word used in Hebrews chapter 10 of the bold or confident access we have to the Father through the blood of Jesus. In the first century, the word was used to to describe speaking openly or frankly or freely about something. It it described a a freedom of speech. It's the word used in Mark 8.32 to describe how Jesus spoke plainly or openly about His coming death and resurrection. Jesus often spoke in parables that people didn't understand. But when it came to His death and resurrection, what did He say? I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised on the third day. And the disciples were like, what? We understand your parables, but we don't get that. And they're like, He just told them straight up what was going to happen. And they missed it until it happened. And then they were like, oh yeah, He told us about that. 
So throughout Acts, this word boldness appears again and again and again. Chapter 2, 29, 4, 13, 4, 29, 4, 31, 9, 27, and 28, 13, 46, 18, 26, 19, 8, 26, 26, and 28, 31. The last verse of the book of Acts concludes with Peter being bold in his proclamation of the gospel. And the, the point is that when the Spirit comes upon you and your faith in Christ is challenged, that the Spirit of God is going to empower you to speak the Word of God. Boldness is something the temple leaders see. Now, boldness is not usually something you see. And obviously, the meaning here is that they discern it, they feel it, they perceive it. And yet, I can imagine that in Peter and John's body language, it's almost like they were wrapped in boldness. They were wrapped in an intensity of the moment, the knowing that eternity hangs in the balance for these temple leaders. Yes, they've got power in the city, and they've got, they think, power over Peter and John, but there's a boldness that's welling up within because their authority doesn't derive from the temple leadership. It derives from the king of kings. And here's what's happening. The authority of the temple leaders is bumping into the authoritative teaching of Jesus Christ through the mouths of the apostles. And here's what's going on in the minds of the temple leaders. Here's the question they're asking. How in the world are they making these bold points? These are not Virginia Tech fans telling you that the Hokies football team is going to win a national championship next year. Like, I could boldly tell you that, and I might even convince myself to believe it, and you would go, that guy's crazy. But it's not just It's not just that they're bold and outlandish in their witness. It's like what they're saying is landing. It's resonating as truthful. It's registering with those who are listening. And and here's what the temple leaders are going, how in the world is this possible? Peter and John are unschooled and common men. That's what it says in verse 13. They didn't get a seminary education in their... They're common men. They're, they're, they're lay people. Now, this is not a put-down in the Scripture. This is Luke's description of Peter and John. He's not putting them down. He's just stating a fact. That they are not trained as interpreters of Scripture and rabbinic tradition. They were fishermen. They weren't priests or Levites or anyone connected with the ruling elites of the temple. And so here we have bold witness coming from bland resumes, so it seems. And these temple leaders are astonished, they're amazed, they're they're dumbfounded. They said the same thing of Jesus, by the way. In Luke chapter 7, verse 15, when Jesus was teaching in the temple, it says that the temple leaders marveled at Jesus and His teaching. What did they say? They said this, How is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? Now, Did Jesus study? Of course Jesus studied. Luke tells us that he grew in knowledge and wisdom and understanding. He grew in stature. By the time he was 12, he knew that he was to be about his father's business. Why? Because he had poured over the scriptures and he had come to understand who he is. These apostles also studied. But the key to their study wasn't their study. It was who was with them in the study. The key to their study was the presence of Christ in their midst. How did they study? For three years, walking the earth with Jesus. And then for a bonus class of 40 days with Jesus before Jesus went to the right hand of the Father. I mean, they got Jesus Himself telling them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. 
I really wish I could have been there. Would have clarified a few things for me. But the point that Luke is making is though these men are fishermen, though they sounded like backwood Galileans, what they are saying it and how they are saying it is spellbinding, it's dumbfounding, even to the temple leaders. And the explanation is this, they had been with Jesus. And as we know, Jesus was still with them. He, he promised them and us in Matthew 28 that He would be with them even to the end of the age. As they speak, the Spirit is giving them Jesus' insight and authority and prophetic voice. The, the boldness that they speak with is God-given and it comes from their union with Jesus who is the main subject of the Scriptures and their teaching is connecting with hungry hearts because it's accurately reflecting God's heart to glorify His Son. And so the apostles, though they didn't have seminary degrees, are nevertheless bold. Now the Bible is not celebrating willful ignorance, right? It's not like Peter and John hung out with Jesus and they didn't pay attention and they didn't learn. Clearly, they did. Luke is a medical doctor. Matthew is a tax collector. And Paul was like a seminary PhD. So the point isn't, don't learn as much as you can about God's Word. Don't have a heart for theology of the things of God. The point is this, wherever you are, if you've been with Jesus, He'll give you the boldness and the authority to speak for Him in the moment that you need it. You don't got to go, well, let me, you know... I'm not a pastor, so I can't really tell you about Jesus. Wrong. Just rely on the Spirit and let Him give you the words that you should speak in the very hour. So those who've been with Jesus have a, a Spirit-given boldness. But secondly, those who've been with Jesus and who are now with Jesus have a witness which is supported by undeniable life change. It's one thing to have the words to say. It's another thing to have the evidence of a life that's been transformed by God. And they have that, in this case, not only in their own lives, in their own testimony, but in the lame man who's now walking. When we come to verse 14, the temple leaders have seen the boldness of Peter and John. They've perceived that they are uneducated and they've recognized they've been with Jesus. There's a whole lot of seeing that happened in verse 13. And now in verse 14, they see the man who was healed. Their authority has run straight into the authority of Jesus. And now they have another opportunity to bow to King Jesus, to be rescued and to follow the king that they should have been seeking all along. But all they see in the man is an obstacle. They had nothing to say in opposition to the evidence of the healed man. They, they wanted to contradict Peter and John, but they had nothing there was unmistakable evidence of the power of God standing right in front of them in the form of a man miraculously healed in Jesus' name. Jesus told His apostles that this was going to happen to them. In Luke 21.15, He said this, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to understand or contradict. So the temple leaders, get this, they lost the argument. They recognized that they lost the argument, and yet they still refused the answer. This proves that sound logic and argumentation, even delivered with spirit-given boldness, is not enough to change a wicked heart. 
Only God can change a spiritually dead, deceived, self-righteous, and sin-hardened heart. These temple leaders are unwilling to change. And because they will not change and they've heard the argument and they've rejected the answer, rather than change, rather than be changed by God, instead they make a change of plans. Verse 15, they command Peter and John and most likely the, the man born lame who's there with them to, to leave. Hey, would y'all, would y'all step aside? We, we need to confer for a little while about a question. What in the world are we going to do with these guys? This is a little pastoral sidebar, but this is a a lesson in self-righteous leadership. When the self-righteous can't deny the truth of what God has done or what He requires, they move from the principles of God's Word to the pragmatics of preserving their power. And it's, it's been happening in dying churches for decades. Are y'all, is this on? So, so God's Word has some clear principles about, about what the church is to be about and how she's supposed to be structured and how she's supposed to function. And as churches have tried to pursue those things, pastors who have hearts for God have bumped into self-righteous, power-preserving, past-exalting garbage every step of the way. And those churches are stuck, and they're dying, and they don't understand. It's because they are not responding to Christ-centered leadership based on the principles of the Word of God. I love what Benson says here. They're asking, what should we do with these men? How in the world don't they know what they should have done? It should have been obvious what they should do. If they would have yielded to the authority of Christ, it would have been easy to say what they should do. They should have placed them, who's them? Peter and John. They should have put Peter and John at the head of their council. They should have received their instruction and their doctrine. They should have been baptized by them in the name of the Lord Jesus. They should have joined fellowship with them. And Peter and John should have been running the temple and pointing the way to the high priest who is the sacrifice. We don't need the sacrificial system anymore because the king of kings came down and he offered himself and he pleads on behalf of anyone who trusts in him. So trust in Jesus. Jesus, and this becomes the place where the church of Jerusalem meets. They should have submitted themselves to the leadership of these inexperienced Galilean fishermen. But rather than join Team Jesus, they isolate and they huddle up to call another play. And there are two factors that limit their play calling. The first problem is the people. Overnight, the the multitude who had seen the man born lame spread the good news had gone throughout the city and talked about what had happened to the man born lame throughout Jerusalem. And in verse 16 it says, All who dwell in Jerusalem, they now know what has happened. And the temple leaders need the people to keep coming to the temple and relying upon them or the temple enterprise shuts down. And so here are these temple leaders who have the authority and the power to punish the apostles, but they're afraid to use it because public opinion is against them. And they valued public opinion more than the principles that they were supposedly defending. What they did as priests in the priestly class had become about them rather than about God. This should be a warning to us. These people knew their Bibles. They knew a lot about God, but they did not know God. And when you are confronted with what God can do and does through Jesus, it rips away any idea that we can make this book 
about us, our name, our popularity. It is all about Jesus. It is for Him and by Him and through Him and to Him. We exist to magnify and glorify Jesus. It is Jesus who changes lives. Not us. We are simply the evidence and the mouthpiece. The the bigger issue for the temple leaders is not just the people. It's that the sign that the power of God through the name of Jesus has worked is clearly standing before them. They cannot deny that this man couldn't walk and now he's walking. And he's been healed through Peter and John. And look at the end of verse 16. It says, we cannot deny it. They want to deny it, but they cannot deny it. This, this reminds us, church, that the world needs more than a solid argument that is boldly delivered. Any of you guys like to argue? Show of hands. Yeah, nobody's going to admit it. Um, I, I tell my sister all the time, she's an attorney in a small town in Virginia, and she, she wins a lot of her cases. And I tell her she needs to send me a little commission check every time. Because I'm three years older than she is, and I taught her how to argue. We argued all the time. You can ask my parents. Uh, I enjoy a good debate. I really do. I enjoy assessing um, structures and how things work. And, And I really feel like it just doesn't make a lot of sense not to believe in Jesus at the end of the day. I mean, I love to have a good debate with somebody and be like, what are you thinking? These apostles lost their lives in defense of the fact that they saw a man die and be raised from the dead. And if Jesus is raised from the dead and he said he was going to be raised from the dead, and you're living in a world that's a dark mess and you can't make sense of it, and you encounter Christ in truth, why wouldn't you believe in him? It just doesn't make sense not to believe in Jesus. I don't have enough faith not to believe in Jesus. The idea of this world is some created soup that just appeared out of nowhere. You believe in eternal matter? Crazy talk. I mean, the stuff that people are believing rather than believing in Jesus, that's crazy. It is. And I, and I, I love to have that argument. And I, I'm going to be honest, I'll win it nine out of ten times. But here's the problem. It's not enough to be able to win the argument. People need to see changed lives. When we have those arguments, we don't want to win the argument. I mean, I kind of do, but that's not the point. We don't want to win the argument. We want to win the heart. We want to win lives and souls. We want to see people changed by Jesus. We don't want to have another little check mark. I want another argument today. We want to see people fall in love with the Savior who changed us. And the man is standing right there. But the temple leaders still won't believe. But there are many who will believe. And they're not going to believe simply because you have all the arguments and all the reasons. They're going to believe when they see lives that have been changed by Jesus. That's what I want for North Roanoke Baptist Church. I want us to to be a community that is committed to being with Jesus so much that He will not only make us bold in our witness to Him, but that He will change us and that that He will give us a longing to see others changed through us by the power of Christ. That He would 
confront the sins that remain within us, the respectable sins, the the hidden sins, the sins of self-righteousness that lead us, that He would lead us to delight in our weaknesses and depending upon Christ, trusting that He will work through our witness to transform still more lives in His name. I'm telling you, church, I think we're just getting started at 6402 Peters Creek Road, seeing Jesus change people through a community that is being changed by the King. They got to see changed lives. But as we'll see in verse 17, some will see the undeniable sign of a, a, a changed life and they'll still reject Jesus. And some, like these temple leaders, when they can't deny the miracle, they will pivot and they will try to stop the movement. They couldn't deny the miracle, so they try to stop the movement. Which presents us with our third point about those who've been with Jesus. Those who are with Jesus, who've been with Jesus, they have an unshakable resolve to speak of Him no matter the cost. They will obey Jesus rather than man when they have to make a choice. Verses 17 through 22 is where we see that. In verse 17, the temple leaders go from denial to damage control. They decide to warn Peter and John, telling them to speak no more to anyone in the name of Jesus. They will kill the movement of the Messiah by threatening His messengers. I want to to slow down for just a moment and point out that this is exactly what Satan wants to do in your life. Satan can't steal your salvation, so he wants to shut your mouth. If you're in Christ and sealed in Christ, okay. Christ will not lose any that he saved, but I will shut down her mouth. I will shut down his mouth. I'll make him complacent in the workplace. I'll make him coast through every day and every week and every month, never thinking about the lostness that is all around him. It's what Satan wants to do. He wants to shut down our witness. He wants to lead us to accept a privatized life that, and faith that never testifies. I've, I've often heard the mantra, have you heard the mantra, share the gospel and if necessary, use words. You know, you know who agrees with that statement? Satan. Satan likes that statement. It's, it's crazy talk. You can't share the gospel without words no more than you can share your phone number without digits. The gospel comes in words. Now, I get the sentiment, live a good life, live a holy life, live a pure life, but what did Jesus leave you you here to do? To witness to Him, to share the gospel. I get the sentiment of the statement, but it's a misleading statement because it is always necessary to use words to share the gospel. It is Satan who wants us to think that we can live for Christ and never testify to Christ. Satan is happy for us to live good lives and do good deeds so long as we fail to share the message that leads people to saving faith in Jesus, the Son of God that Satan hates. So in verse 18, the temple leaders called and charged the apostles not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. This is the anti-great commission in verse 18. What's the great commission? 
Jesus calls his disciples to himself and commissions them to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now the temple leaders call them to themselves and say, we're shutting it down right here. It's not going to get outside of Jerusalem. We're going to end the movement before it starts. But in Acts 1.8, what did Jesus promise? He said the gospel is going to go global beginning with your witness in Jerusalem. It's going to happen. It's not going to be stoppable. The temple leaders are so focused on preserving their kingdom rather than advancing Christ's kingdom. And they they call on Peter and John and they command them to stop speaking and teaching. In other words, don't speak publicly and don't speak privately at all, no more, anywhere, ever, at all about Jesus or else. And Peter and John are kind of like, or else what? This is an impossible request for Peter and John. They can't obey this request. And neither can we obey this request as followers of Christ. Do you, do you feel the conflict of the core of your being? I mean, yes, you're an authority, but Christ is my authority, and you just told me not to talk about Him. This man is walking because of Jesus, and now you don't mean to talk about Him? You're crazy. They can't make us not talk about Jesus. No one can. To not talk about Jesus, to obey a command not to speak of Jesus, would be denying Jesus. It would be denying their experience of Jesus. Their whole life was wrapped up in Jesus. Jesus wasn't a part of their life over here that they could segment out and just pretend like He wasn't there. Their life was now Jesus. Their life was His teaching, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And why did God pour His Spirit out upon them? So that they would be witnesses. So you just have your Jesus, but don't be a witness. I can't do that. It's who I am. And neither can you do it either. When Jesus saves us, He claims all of you, and especially your mouth. Quick sidebar. Baptists insisted on the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States because of verses just like the ones we've read. We, we believe that the soul is directly accountable to God and that the best societies this side of heaven do not coerce or threaten people to prevent them from speaking freely or of freely following their sincerely held religious beliefs. We also believe that even if we are threatened, taxed, tortured, or killed for speaking the gospel, that we will not be silenced. We will not be quiet about Jesus. That's what we see in Peter, and it's what we see in John in verses 19 and 20. In verse 19, they simultaneously rebuke the council and affirm their commitment to God. They, they say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you have to judge. They're, they're kind of turning it around and sort of rhetorically poking the guys in the eye. Let me, let me break this down for you a little bit. Do you want us to obey you or the God that you're saying you're serving? Because we can't do both. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to disobey you and force you to reckon with God's authority, which is coming through Christ, who you say doesn't have any authority. So we're going to keep obeying our king, and then you're going to end up judging whether we're following God or not. In verse 20, they 
they confirm that they cannot not speak of what they had seen and heard from Jesus. They use the double negative in the Greek. I, I love that the Greek allows you to use double negatives because sometimes double, double negatives are good. We can't not do it. And remember, these guys are from Galilee, right? They're, they're the hillbillies, the rednecks. I can't believe these guys have anything good to say. So I'm going to translate what they say in verse 20 into 21st century Galilee. And ain't no way we ain't talking about what we've seen and heard from Jesus. Ain't going to do it. At this moment, the stakes are high. And these same people, these same temple leaders had gotten Rome to crucify Jesus. And yet Peter and John are witnessing with the boldness of Christ. They, they could have rationalized accepting the terms of surrender. They could have lied and said, sure, we won't talk about Jesus. And then left and talked about Jesus anyway. But instead they maintained their witness to Christ regardless of the risk because they already had Jesus on the inside, the supreme reward. Take my life if you will. I have life everlasting in Christ. When you've been with Jesus, when you've seen Jesus work and heard Him speak marvelous things, you cannot not speak of Jesus. Peter and John, they have to obey God. And to obey God is to listen to His Son. And His Son said that they would be witnesses. Silence about Jesus would be insubordination. It would be a denial of all that they know to be true. And a denial of who they are in Christ. In Christ, they and you and me are witnesses. A Christian can no more stop speaking of Jesus than a bird can stop chirping when the sun comes up in the morning. We are saved to speak of Jesus. So fearing, excuse me, so we share Jesus boldly and confidently because He's with us, because He wins and no one can steal our victory. They can take your job, they can take your security, they can take your access to social media platforms, they may even take your life, but what are these things compared to knowing and belonging to Jesus? They are nothing. Not even death can deny us victory, for we belong to the resurrected King of glory. I want you to notice something. By fearing God... These apostles have become fearless. In verse 21, the council is like a dog that is all bark and no bite. They threaten some more. We're going to rough you up. We're the temple leaders. But they can't find any way to punish them. That word punish is the same word, cancel. You've heard a lot in the last two years about cancel culture. The world wants to cancel you for your faith in Christ. But because Christ is the risen King of glory, cancel away. Keep trying to cancel my witness to Christ. We will not be silent. These temple leaders prove once again that they are guarded, excuse me, they are guided by preserving the status quo and promoting themselves. But all they can do is voice empty threats. The transformation was undeniable standing before these temple leaders. And the people, unlike the priests and the temple leaders, were praising God. Why were they praising God? Because a man who had never walked in more than 40 years of life had been healed in Jesus' name. May we, North Roanoke, be and become ever more a community 
that longs for and celebrates life change in Jesus' name. May this be a place where like Peter and John, God is working through us and we are bold in the face of adversity and lives are being changed. I want to close by asking us a few questions. Have you been with Jesus? And are you with Him now? Do you speak of Him openly when you have the opportunity? Has He changed your life? And is He changing the lives of others through you? Can you conceive of a life in which you would accept not speaking of Jesus for your personal comfort? And finally, do you love your position or your power or the church's past more than you long to see people born spiritually lame walking for the glory of God? Have you been and are you now with Jesus? Would you pray with me? God in heaven, thank you for the word. Thank you for the boldness and the faithfulness of Peter and John. Thank you for the man born lame who by faith was healed and made whole after 40 years of desperate begging outside the temple gates. God, in this room and online and in the gym, there may be some who know what it's like to be desperate, spiritually speaking, to feel like they can't get up in the morning to feel like they are dead on the inside. And God, through Christ, they can be made alive even today by faith in Jesus, the risen Savior. God, I, I pray that if there's any who needs to trust you, that you would give them the liberty to step out and come to saving faith in Christ. I, I pray if there's anyone who's, who's been a longtime member of the church, but they recognize, I, I know a lot about God and a lot about Jesus, but I've never been with Jesus, God, I pray today would be the day that they repent of sin and trust in Christ and know the fullness of joy that is found and the boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit. God, have your will and your way in this place as we sing once more for Christ our King. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.